welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. We are in the sermon series called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. We're just teaching through Jesus' teachings. And this is a a manifesto of Jesus. This is a how to be human again. Um, It is an invitation to become the kind of person that breathes in the kingdom air. That we are invited to live within the kingdom reality here and now in our everyday ordinary life. And that we do that through first right relationship with Jesus. If we want to extend the kingdom, we need to be in relationship with Jesus. Amen? Through practicing or living the way of Jesus, taking on new habits that have been formed by him, that he's practiced, and embodying that in a lifestyle. And we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we are in a series. We're going verse by verse through this, chap- this uh, few chapters in the book of Matthew. And today we're going to talk about some difficult issues. This this particular sermon is, I would say, is rated R. So if you have kids here um, and they're not going to comprehend words I'm going to use, great. Otherwise, if you don't want to explain concepts later that Pastor Darren said, I encourage you right now is your time to, to just take a step out or shut it off and just listen to it on another time because I am going to talk specific things because Jesus talks about some specific things. You see, Jesus, is that my phone? Um, Jesus started to redefine the Torah, the Old Testament laws, through his kingdom lens. And he started last week with Bill's sermon. Uh, he didn't start with Bill's sermon. He started way before Bill. But, <laughs> but it's easy for me to confuse the two. Um, but last week we talked about anger. And the issue that he redefined, we all would agree upon. It's not hard. We believe murder is wrong. Would you agree? Yes, you can't have a society or a friendship with someone you're going to murder. Um, and there's all sorts of, of laws that protect that particular thing that we agree upon. But today we're going to talk about something, a type of sin that in our culture has been both acceptable and even deemed necessary. And so I want to pray for the talk. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to move um, and just to be open. So would you just close your eyes? And just open up your heart and mind. Holy Spirit, would you bring us insight to what you want to say through your word right now? I pray through your Holy Spirit that we would be vulnerable to your word. That we, our hearts and our minds would not be resistant. That we would not be triggered by words I've used or will use by even who I am. I pray that you and your message would become so clear to every individual here and where we need to be healed, that you would heal. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense, any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. We have a lust problem. The tolerance for lust has never been higher in history. Access to things that feed our lust has never been greater. While lust is um, more experience, it's also harder to quantify. Um, So we're going to use pornography as a way to quantify this issue. 
So here are some heartbreaking statistics. It, uh, number one, 12, 12 to 17-year-olds are the highest users of pornography today. And I have, uh, uh, I, I'm going to send this out. I have all the, all the, the references for this if you, wanna, if you want this information. The average age a child is, is first exposed to pornography is 11 years old today. But 75% of parents believe their children have not seen pornography online. Um, there's stats that, that uh, it's like 45% of 8-year-olds have seen pornography online. 68% of church-going men view porn on a regular basis. So roughly 70% of the men in this room are regularly looking at pornography. Go to the next slide. 76% of young Christian adults, 18 to 24 years old, are actively searching for porn. Pornography use increases the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. I thought this 50 per, 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. And I just need to make it clear today that this is not a, a talk for men. This is a talk for men and women. Because um, from st statistics from one of the leading porn sites, Pornhub, says that 70% of men use their website and 30% of, of women use their website as well. So this is not, it's, it's increasing in both men and women in our culture, in our age. And so if you are not a Christian and you're here, you're off the hook. You don't need to worry about this talk, okay? So if you're not Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is not for you. But if you are a follower of Jesus, we are invited and yet called to abide by the standards or abide by the actual words of Jesus. This is so important. So let's actually read the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5. He goes from anger to another issue, and he says this in verse 27. You have heard that it was said. When a rabbi would say this in the first century, he's about to quote the Old Testament. So Jesus is quoting one of the commandments in the Old Testament. He's quoting from Exodus, and he says, You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, so now he's going to reinterpret the Old Testament, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus redefines the Torah. Religion defines success by not breaking the law. But Jesus will regular, regularly redefine kingdom life by a transformed heart. So what the Pharisees did is they say, okay, let's say you shall not murder. That's the law. They built laws like <clears throat> over here to keep you from murdering. They just added, you know, dozens of laws to make sure, like, or don't break the Sabbath. And so rather than getting to the heart, like, what's the Sabbath for? Don't break the Sabbath. They make laws about you can't eat and, and, and plow on the Sabbath. You can't, you can't um, walk a certain number of steps on the Sabbath. They do all, they add laws to prevent you from getting to the heart. But what Jesus does is he says, okay, no, no, no. Um, don't commit adulteries way over here. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with your heart. Because if you get the heart right, which is the, the, the operating system of the human soul, if you get that right, then you won't even get to here, which is, which is a, the, the act of adultery. And he says somewhere over here that if you look at a person with lustful intent, it's as if you've already committed adultery. Are you with me? So, maybe you're here and you're thinking, I'm done with this sermon. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. So cool, but I've already tried. That's impossible. 
you write Jesus off, and so we dismiss this teaching. But I want to I want to give you some perspective because I think we misinterpret this text so often. So I want to talk about what Jesus means. So let me start by what he doesn't mean in this text. First of all, Jesus is not talking about appreciating beauty. I just want to make sure we understand because purity culture in the last 20, 30 years has destroyed the church in some ways. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna try to undermine some of that false teaching that wants to blame the way women dress as the issue. All the ladies want to say amen. <laughs> I'm holding back. Uh, stick to the notes. <laughs> stick to the notes. <laughs> you see, God created the world, right? He created the heavens and the earth. And when he creates human, he, he says, God saw that what he had made and he said it was good. And that word good in Hebrew is also translated to beautiful. God saw what he's made when he made humans. He says, it's very beautiful. Beauty is not what Jesus is saying is wrong. A, 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 a becoming aware of beauty, noticing beauty, is not what Jesus is saying is sinful. That's not what he's saying, right? So, so there, this is not about normal, healthy appreciation of beauty. All right, we'll get specific in where this goes sideways in just a moment. He's not talking about a momentary flash of sexual desire that comes when you see a beautiful person. That sudden feeling that you get when that, you notice that person, you have this flash of, of some type of sexual desire that comes out of your body, out of your mind. I'm not going to use my hands too, too often here, but it comes out of my, my mind. Go there. Oh, we will. Don't worry. Just holding back. You see, that desire is not necessarily sin. It's natural. We're created to have feelings of attraction towards people of the opposite sex, feelings of attraction um, towards our spouses. Our bodies and minds are biologically wired to attract to other people. That's, that's a, a normal human experience. Now, what is a problem is when we allow that desire to go unchecked. Okay, so the, that, that feeling, that flash of experience, that sudden look and notice is not sin. But it can become temptation. So desire and temptation are two different things. All right? What, the definition of temptation is the, the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. So that notice, that desire, that first glance, that first look can lead to temptation. And this is where we need to align our thoughts, our minds, and our actions with the way of Jesus. So it's not about, it's not against appreciating beauty. It's not, having that sudden experience is not the thing that Jesus is talking about in this text. So what is he talking about? What is he talking about? Well, let me, before I, I answer that, I want to just re, read to you Martin Luther. I got this from a sermon from John Mark Comer. He had this in his, and I thought this was so great. He said, uh, Martin Luther wrote this. This is in the 1500s. We should not make the bolstering of Jesus' teachings too taut here, as if anyone who is merely tempted to look at another with lust is eternally damned. He, listen to what he says. I cannot keep a bird from flying over my head. It's that sudden notice of beauty. But I can certainly keep it from making a nest in my hair or from biting off my nose. Like temptations are going to come. You're going to have these experiences, these feelings, these thoughts, these desires. They're going to pop up. And it's what you do next. That's where the temptation leads you 
to be moved and energized to act based on those unchecked desires. Are you with me, church? So what is Jesus talking about? Well, he says in uh, Matthew, he says, I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery. He's talking about this word. First of all, this word look is difficult to translate in English, right? So there's, there's uh, in English, the word look or the word glance or gaze uh, can, 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 or I'm sorry, the word look can be translated to glance at something. I could say I looked at the light or I could say I looked at John. And, or, or, right? That, there's two different things going on here. I looked, and then he's handing me a flower. What's going on? It can mean glance, or it can mean gazing at a person and outlining their body in your imagination. But in Greek, the word he uses here is the second. It's not to look for a glance. It's the gazing. There's, there's a difference in language. So I want you to understand what Jesus is saying. He's talking about lustful intent. Lust is using a woman or a man's body for sexual gratification. And other translations might help with this um, Matthew passage. It says um, in ESV, anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, with the intent, with the purpose of lust, Every man who is looking at a woman in order to lust after her is how Frederick Dale Bruner um, uh, translates it. And then Dallas Willard says, anyone who looks upon a woman for the purpose of lusting for her, using her visual presence as a means of savoring the fantasized act. He's saying you think obedience to the way of God is about not committing adultery, but I tell you if you use your eyes in a way that objectifies another person, that makes that person a fantasy in your mind, where if you look once and notice it, but then you look again and allow that flash of sexual desire to grow and to be cultivated into something else in your mind where now you're playing and fantasizing about a sexual encounter in your imagination later into the evening, the way you looked again is like having adultery. Are you with me? It's that second look that leads to temptation. That second look is how it begins. It's allowing your your soul to be overwhelmed by that desire. That is the way the enemy is tempting us. But it's not just the enemy. Listen to what uh, the brother of Jesus said in James chapter 1. James 1 verse 13. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. You should circle enticed or highlight it on your phone. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Come on, James. What's he getting at? Well, sin, if it's allowed to grow, gives birth to death. Lust, when it's unconfessed, when it's unchecked, when you feed it, and when you allow that lust to grow, it gives birth to death. Death to what, you might ask? Death to purity. Death to innocence. Death to intimacy and relationship. Death death to the trust in a relationship. Ultimately, it brings spiritual death. 
You were created to live life the way it was intended to be in the first place. The way God designed you to live was to be perfect as he's perfect, to live in such a way that what's inside matches the outside and the other way around, where there are no secrets that you're hiding in your closet from your spouse. When you live outside of that intention, when that sin grows and cultivates, when you feed that fire, it will overwhelm the rest of your life. It will cause you to act out of the character you have been called into in Christ. That's the kind of death. Jesus will use a word in just a second called hell, Gehenna. But it's the same idea. James uses this interesting word that, I was, that really stuck out to me to, uh, when I was preparing this week. He says, you'll be dragged away by your own evil desires and enticed. And that word enticed in Greek is a fishing word for getting hooked. You get hooked. And then I was like, wait, how is it that we get hooked? Right? Because I'm talking about an issue that we need to talk about. We need to air it out, okay? So we know that every, m- m- the majority of us in this room are dealing with this issue called lust. Can we just say that? Okay, great. We're all safe. We're not going to judge each other. We're not going to judge each other. That comes later, chapter 7 of the Sermon on the Mount. So we'll get there. It'll take some time, but let's start now. How do we get enticed? How do we get hooked? Well, number one, you get exposed. You get exposed. Let's sit, let's sit with getting exposed for a second. You see, when I look at those statistics and see that the ages that are using pornography, it breaks my heart. When I see that the average age is 11, that, I mean, for, for young boys, I read an article that said seven to nine years old is when they are exposed to pornography. You see, at some point in our lives, whether it was on accident, whether it was on purpose, whether somebody took advantage of us, and we were exposed to sexual immorality, sexual impurity, sex the way it wasn't intended to be in the first place. And it's easy today because with internet, we can be innocently scrolling online and all of a sudden things can pop up in our Google search. We can click on something and an ad pops up and all of a sudden we're exposed to all sorts of sexual content, right? I remember when I was uh, walking in the airport with my son and uh, there was some type of magazine. We were walking to Long Beach Airport, and he points out, and he's like, that girl's a naked buns, and she's holding, <laughs> holding herself naked on the magazine. That's his eye level, little kid. And I was like, that, and I have the awareness. He says the naked buns. He's not thinking of the way he was exposed to sexual content. He was. And as parents, we try to guard those exposures, but we have all been exposed And maybe you were exposed because your parents were living out pornography or infidelity. Maybe you were here and somebody took advantage of you. Somebody took away your innocence at a young age. And that's how you were introduced to sex and sexuality. And that has created all sorts of things in your life. That's how you were exposed to this idea When I was young, I was walking in a mall, and I saw Victoria's Secret, and I was interested. Just think about that. All the ways our culture is deforming us. 
and we swim in what is sexually explicit. So talking about purity, talking about not lusting in a culture that permeates with these images that force us down a current that's moving rapidly is like swimming upstream. But I want to I say, as I was preparing, and I'm taking my time here because I really feel that the Lord wants to do something. Um, when, I, when I started writing this sermon, I think I approached it like, like a coach. Come on, guys, we've got to get your act together. Let's go. And the Lord just paused, and he brought this, this image of a father to me. And I was just thinking about how God is not disappointed in you because you keep stumbling. He's not angry that you're still addicted to this porn site. He's not angry. He's not disappointed. He's filled with compassion towards you because you're wounded. So how do we get hooked? It starts with the fact that you were exposed. And then the second thing that happens is because of that exposure, you get wounded. You get injured. That exposure injures you, and now you're carrying a wound. And when we talk about lust, we're like a coach. We're going to try to give you practices to get you better at not lusting. But when you recognize that Jesus wants to heal a wound, he wants to come compassionately towards you and say, you're sick and you need healing. You're hurt and you have a wound that's bleeding and you can't possibly do this on your own. I'm here to comfort and heal you. This conversation has no shame attached because you're hurt and you need to be healed. And it's not just your fault. Yes, maybe yet now that you're older, you're doing things that you know, like Romans 7, you don't want to do, but it started because of a wound, and what you need is healing. You need the Father to come around you. Maybe you need a mother image in your head to come around you and say, it's going to be okay. You don't have to live this way because you're here and you're hearing lies. And the lie is, well, this is normal. Everyone struggles with this. Or even worse, I'm damaged goods. I'll never be pure. And Jesus wants to come to that space, to that little girl that's been locked up in that little room or that little boy that's been locked up in that little that room, unlock the door, walk in, sit with you in pain and heal what's never been healed but what's only been challenged by a culture of purity that says you gotta, you gotta do better. You gotta do better. Women, you gotta dress differently. Men, you gotta get your act together. That's not what Jesus wants to do. Well, he'll take it seriously in just a second, and we'll give you some of that. But it starts with recognize you were exposed and you were wounded, and because of that, you're conflicted. You stay confused, right? Because what happens what happens when you're young and you don't, you, don't under, you don't have a good theology of sexuality or your physical body is you get exposed and all of a sudden something feels really good and then you're feeling all sorts of shame. Isn't that conflict? When you don't have somebody to talk to, you hide it and so now you have this secret that you feel terrible about but it also feels good. What's going on? You stay in this place of conflict and you never, got, you never get out of the hole. Are you with me? Do you know what I'm talking about? This is how we get hooked. And so when we get, when we stay in this place that's conflicted, we begin to justify our behaviors. It's not hurting anyone. If my wife would just perform more, I wouldn't have to do this. You start blaming. 
We live from a sense of entitlement of what our needs are because our culture is saying this is natural. Don't even deny this feeling. This is what you're made for. Jesus is dealing with the core problem in the human condition, and he's not saying it starts with the pro- he's not saying the problem is sexual desire. He's not saying the problem is beauty. He's not saying the problem is the female body. He's saying it's a heart issue. He uses this phrase, adultery of the heart. It's, it's the thing underneath the sexual desire. It's, it's, it's not, he's trying to get to the source of the pain, the source of the problem. It's not just get your software on your computer. Yes, do those things. We'll talk about that. But it's got to get, you got to get to the heart level. You have to do the work to realize that underneath that porn addiction, underneath that acting out in sexual relationships, there's, there's somebody that's been exposed. There's somebody that hasn't been loved by a father and you're searching for it in sexual relationships. There's somebody that hasn't fully understood that your body can tame those sexual desires. It's designed for covenantal marriage relationships. And in that sacred space, you can be vulnerable and fully known and that person's not gonna leave you. That person's not gonna abuse you. That person's not gonna take advantage. They're gonna love you for who you are separate from them. And when you, when you realize that that's what Jesus is after, that space of heart, then you come from that space, you will naturally live into the things of Jesus. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to have an affair today. Oops. Had an affair. Nobody's doing that. Some, that. That thing is cultivated over a long period of time in your heart. Nobody wakes up and is all of a sudden addicted to pornography. It's, it doesn't start like that. What it starts with is that second look. It starts with that second gaze. It's that moment of temptation. And, and that second look, let me just say this. No accountability software can stop that. No wife, no spouse can hold you accountable to that. You, no pastor, no group will hold you accountable to that second look. Do you see? But Jesus is saying that's where the problem is. And then he gives us a way out. Now I need you to sit with me on this because the way out is really interesting. Okay, the rest of the text, first of all, notice he doesn't command you to not lust. He doesn't command you to not lust. But he, because if he did, I think we'd we'd write him off. But he does give you some practical steps on how to move forward in the kingdom of God. And look what he says. Verse 29, hold hold your breath. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you. I'm not praising God for that. It is better... (laughs) for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus is not teaching self-mutilation. And this is one of my favorite passages to argue exegetical exegetical reading of scripture. We need expository preaching, exegetical research to understand what the Bible means. It never, we should never interpret this on our own. We need some help, okay? Are you with me? Because when I hear people say, well, I read the Bible literally. That's the only way to, li- to read it. I'm like, well, why isn't your hand chopped off? I know you're a dude. 
Praise God. Praise God, it's not literal. Who's with me? This is why we need to, and by the way, this is why at the Garden Church, we approach interpreting scripture with such intentionality. From Genesis to Revelation, we are consistent in our reading and interpretation of scripture. We're not cherry picking verses and trying to apply our, our, our systematic theology or our network, or what, we're not a part of any network. We're not trying to push a, an agenda. We're, we're looking at the scripture and saying, okay, there's context, this means something, Jesus means something by it. There's a grand narrative, because if I took this and I said, all right, brothers, here's the machete, come on up. <clears throat> you would be like, that's not consistent with Jesus. Yes, that's not consistent with Jesus. This was a statement that would have shocked people into listening. What's the point? Take lust seriously, right? He's not, he's not sugarcoating it, saying, all right, here's some Advil, keep going. It's natural. I know you're going to struggle for a while. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this, this issue that starts in your heart is so serious, you should amputate your body part. He doesn't name those body parts, but other body parts. And the point is to take it seriously. And I wonder if we haven't taken it seriously. If we've been formed by culture so much that we've just bought in to the issues of sin because they're necessary. They're, you know, they're essential for us to get through the week to whatever way you want to justify. Jesus is saying deal drastically with lust. If you don't amputate it, you will stumble into hell, right? The word is, you're not going to dive into hell. And by hell, he doesn't mean torture chamber for eternity, by the way. just want to clarify this particular passage. Other passages speak differently. This particular passage, the hell in the book of Matthew, primarily Matthew, um, is the word Gehenna, which is a literal trash dump outside of the city of Jerusalem that was, you heard, weeping and gnashing of teeth. That was a phrase commonly used for the, the, um, the, the sounds of dogs gnawing on trash. And that constantly had this burn because it was a trash dump that was on fire. And it was a, a metaphor for life outside of God. Now, we do believe in heaven and hell here and what that looks like. This is a whole other conversation. But that metaphor, the image you need to have is if you don't amputate, it leads to the life that looks like hell. And when I think hell, I think hell on earth here and now. Think of addiction. Think of broken marriage. Think of no trust. Think of constantly struggling day in and day out. That life is no life that is filled with goodness. Jesus desires goodness and beauty and truth. And if you don't take seriously the words of Jesus, in this passage, it leads to a life outside of what God intended for you, and you will be living hell on earth. Are you with me? Now, I know I threw out a big theological bomb, um, but for that point, this is how the New Testament in Matthew, this is what he's referring to, Gehenna. Are you with me? We can talk about that later. The point is, um, we've got to deal drastically, because if not, you will stumble into, you won't just, you will trip and fall, and you will wander into a life that you never desired in the first place. And all of this starts again with that second look. So we've got to deal drastically. So, the habit of lust, it can be broken. Let me just say that one more time for the people in the back, the people listening online. The habit of lust can be broken. And most of us have settled into it. But it's time for a new start. 
And I believe that God wants to bring healing and freedom to this issue. You can break the habit of lust in your mind, in your body, in your relationships. And not 100% of the time, but you can move that transformation down the road in the partnership with God through practices, through habits, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through community over a long period of time. I know it's true. I've seen it. Some of you this morning were already telling me testimonies of this reality that you are free from something that you were held in bondage of. And this morning as I was talking to our shepherds and our prayer team, I was saying what I feel like God wants to do in ministry time is just come and take bolt cutters. And I just want to hear the sounds of heaven of chains falling off. Because this is what's next for us. It's freedom to live an animated life by the Spirit of God. We have to address this issue. Some of us, we've come so far, and we're, we're in positions now where we're leading house churches, we're on teams, and we're seen as that good Christian guy, but we're hiding this sin from our spouses and friends. No secrets. No judgment. How do we heal what I call the lustful wound? How do we heal the lustful wound? Are you with me? I'm going to give you a couple practical things, and then we'll pray. Number one, protect the wound. Guard it. Psalm 119 verse 9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. We got to keep distance from the thing that causes us to stumble. We got to have a good defense. We got to have a good defense. Remember that um, this is a wound. I remember when um, uh, I had a a, a back injury, like I, I dislocated my, my uh, rib and it was like connected to my back so I had all this pain and I remember coming to church one day and somebody gave me a hug and squeezed me and lifted me up those people I know who you are <laughs> we all have one of those friends and it just ah. Uh, and from then on out I was just protecting my injury do you know what I'm talking about just pr- you got to protect the wound it's got got to have time to heal Paul talks about sin often. He says, when he talks about sin, he says, fight sin, resist sin. But when he talks about sexual sin, you know what he says? Flee from it. So yeah, we can, we can get tough and try to fight it. When he talks about sexual sin, he's like, get those running shoes on and start sprinting the other direction. So how do you protect yourself? How do you protect yourself? Remember how James talks about temptation? We can influence our temptation by how we live our lives through disciplines and accountability. This is where all those practical things come in, right? So I look on my phone, and there's this phrase that that kills me. It's unrestricted access. If you go to your settings, go to like, it's like four, you have to find it because they want it unrestricted. You go and you look, you, you have unrestricted access to the internet. You should not have unrestricted access to anything. Am I right? Like, we have to put account, we have to limit adult content. We have to get Wi-Fi off on our house if it's causing us to stumble, brothers and sisters. We shouldn't have access. Yes, put accountability software. Yes, set up groups that you're confessing your sins. Yes, don't be alone with your girlfriend or boyfriend. If you, every time you're alone in a room, it goes beyond what is natural and pure according to Jesus' standards. You should put restrictions. You should protect and guard that wound that needs healing. Are you with me? 
The, my prayer and hope is eventually you don't need all of those things to be protected. You're now, your eyes have been pure, or purified and transformed. Your heart has been changed to where that desire no longer has hold over you. It no longer entices you. You don't even notice the first time. You, there is no second glance because you've been trained to do what Jesus would do naturally without thinking it. That is possible here and now. That's what discipleship is. Number one is protect. Number two is to pursue. You got to have a great offense. You got, you know, if you read Ephesians, it talks about people who steal. It says don't steal anymore. Instead, go to work so you can give something. In other words, replace one bad habit with a good habit. The good habit is you are spending an awful lot of time in the world of, 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 of lust and images, whether on Instagram, on websites, whether driving, everywhere you go, you're going to be filled. So why not have a good offense to pursue God? Fix your eyes. Behold the King of kings, the Lord of lords. How are we fixing our eyes? Are we fixing our attention? Are we building a plan to fill our mind and our imagination with the King of kings and the Lord of lords? with Jesus in our lives. Do we have that in our lives? We have to pursue the alternative. I just added this one, so it's not on there. But I want to talk about purity. I want you to fight for your purity. I'm not calling, I don't want to build a purity culture, but I do believe in consecration. I do believe in holiness. I think the next move of God, leadership, and the people of God will be marked by a life that looks differently than culture. They will live a counterculture of life countercultural life so we won't participate we won't know about that netflix series because it 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 competes with our desire to protect our minds from being flooded with images that are going to disrupt the track we are on that will bring triggers to that past wound that we have now healed we have to take this seriously so for some of you yeah unsubscribe from netflix <gasps> that's not chopping off your hand We should put that in an Instagram post. Here's my point. I don't know what you need. But I know we're all wounded. And we all need healing. And Jesus is inviting you in a couple of passages in to have a kind of life that is transformed from the inside out. Where things like lust is challenged with honesty and vulnerability in relationships with one another in the church. Where we're not just talking about confessing pornography and adultery, but we're talking about, hey, this week I had that second look. I don't want it. I didn't do anything on it, but it, I, I stared a little too long. Getting to a point where that's the kind of breakthrough, and I know for some of you, day one is right now. And it will be a struggle to get to day two. So we're starting with day one today, amen? And we're gonna go, we're gonna pray for next week will be day eight. And we're going we're gonna to commit to this together, choosing to hold each other up because we know God's desire is here. So brothers and sisters, we're going we're gonna to pray right now for this. So that's my ending. Why don't we stand? Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit garden.church.